three areas of ministry mastery. This is lesson two in the second area of mastery. We are taking these lessons from uh, Timothy and Titus and really basing them off of their qualifications to be elders or leaders in the local house. And I'll quote Dr. Barclay again, that when he was teaching on the qualifications of elders, he, he would always say, and, and shame on any Christian that doesn't want to rise up and be a leader in the house of God. Shame on any Christian who's just comfortable coming, sitting, and I would add being a parasite. Proverbs says, the leech has two daughters, give and give. So it's biblical to condemn parasites because the leech is a parasite. All the leech says is more, more, give me, give me. Never, I want to give, I want to do for. So we teach these lessons to challenge people to set the precedent, to set the standard higher that Christians would want to do more in the house of God than just be a leech. Uh, we, we are to be giving our life and laying down our life and taking up burdens for the body of Christ. So last week's lesson was mastering yourself. And that's something we're teaching our children to do. And then our high schoolers and our college students. So that by the time you get out of college and into the real world, you've, you've pretty much learned how to master yourself, your appetites, your attitudes. And uh, we, though we're not probably gold medalists in any of this, we ought to be very proficient at mastering our attitudes knowing when you have one and how to change it, mastering your flesh, knowing what your appetite weaknesses are and how to put a curb and a check in place for that. And so this leads us to this lesson in mastering your family. If you're single, you don't have a family yet. You can master your role in your current family, you know, with your siblings and your parents over you. But you've got to learn how to master yourself before you can ever learn how to master a family. And uh, that just requires leadership. It requires stepping up and being uh, disciplined and being in charge, knowing how to take authority and do something with it. A lot of folks will never know the fullness of what God has in store for them because they are not good stewards over the responsibility God gives them today. The way God promotes you is you take full responsibility of any bit of authority he gives you and you accomplish everything it requires. If your boss gives you authority, you have to do something with it. Otherwise, you're a poor steward. You'll be fired. The police officers are giving a wide range of authority. We want them to be a good steward over that authority and, and, uh, and uh, execute swift judgment, arrest the bad guy, kick in a door if they need to, and uh, show up at court. Would to God police officers would do their job and show up to court to confront the bad guy. They have to be that witness against them. We all know in our society, one of the ways you can get out of your speeding ticket is to go to court because your police officer probably won't show up. There's no witness to accuse you, you get off. That's how the court of law works. So that's a misuse of authority or a just, you know, I write tickets, make my quota, but it takes some time to show up to court to stand there and say, yes, your honor, I gave that person a ticket. Anyway, we want to make sure in our private life, we are becoming the best stewards of all authority the Lord gives us. We want to make sure that we are mastering every area of our life. So this brings us to the second area of mastering your family. After you've learned to lead yourself, that means lead yourself to church, lead yourself to prayer, lead yourself in Christian service, you can then begin to lead your family. We don't have time to cover it in depth, but Americans get married for every reason but the right reason. And they, they get married uh, when they're not even qualified to get married yet. You know, you have to qualify to get a driver's license. You have to qualify to get a gun license. You have to qualify to get a commercial driver's license. You've got to qualify to power an airplane, but you don't have to qualify to get a marriage license. 
And I, I, I fix a lot of marriages. Some I've not been successful in fixing. <laughs> you can't lead a spouse until you can first lead yourself. You, don't, you won't be able to lead children until you can first lead yourself. And so you, you are to take your singlehood and master your life, master your responsibilities, master your attitude, master your flesh, master your insecurity, master your weaknesses. Otherwise, when you get married, you're going to leave all that to your spouse who maybe probably hasn't mastered them because they're drawn to you. And like attracts like. When you're a mess, you'll be drawn to a mess. When you're a winner, you're drawn to a winner. Winners aren't drawn to losers. Winners have high standards, and they can look at somebody and say, they're beautiful, they're handsome, but that's not my standard. I'm moving right along now. And they walk on down the road. So you have to master yourself. Otherwise, you're not fit for marriage. God wants to give you a spouse, but it doesn't mean you're fit for one. Amen. You're still a work in progress. Your family must be your best disciples. It means your children, your spouse. If you're a husband, your wife ought to be your best disciple. If you're a woman, you ought to be up and, and desiring your husband to disciple you, to lead you, to, to show you things, to instruct you things. There's a grace upon a man to lead his household that the woman will never have. And even though he may not be the best Bible scholar in the world, he will know by the grace of God upon his life how he wants things done. Now, this, of course, our culture is totally against all of that because if, you, if you're a white male in this, excuse me, a white female born after the 60s, you're about one-third Jezebel just by cultural inebriation, just by cultural baptism. It's just in you. And that's why we hit on it all the time. That's why one of my favorite little props that remains in my pulpit is the lesbian keychain wallet. You can dress as pretty as a princess, but if your heart, in your heart, if you're a Jezebel, this is what you're wearing, that lesbian keychain wallet. We haven't had to break it out in a long time, but maybe we are this morning because somebody's got a lesbian flare up in their soul. I don't know. You have to master yourself. You have to get the Jezebel out. You, if you're a wife, you have to be open for your husband correcting you. One of the most brilliant things I've ever heard my wife say when we were discussing this a few years ago she said, I don't know why American women have such trouble being corrected by their husbands. She said, every person of authority in my life has rebuked me. My mom and dad rebuked me. My ball coaches, my wife used to play basketball. My ball coaches rebuked me. Teachers rebuked me. Bosses rebuked me. Pastors rebuked me. Disciples rebuked me. Why can't you rebuke me, honey? Said, I don't know. That's a good idea. Let me come up with something. I'll rebuke you. <laughs> because there's something innate in the woman that makes her want to argue in the position of authority and think she's equal with her husband. And when it comes to the chain of command, you will never be equal to your superior. Now, we're equal in Christ, yes, but when it comes to the biblical marriage chain of command, you are never equal to the authority of your husband, ever, ever. You can buck that if you want, but it'll destroy your life and you'll be miserable in your soul knowing you are dead wrong. And you won't be able to have any joy, any grace, any mercy, any peace until you repent to your God and your husband. And then you'll be flooded with grace again and you'll be that gracious, beautiful woman, not the Jezebel. Amen. So as a, as a husband, you're required to lead her and train her. Actually, let me back up. Your family must be your best disciples. Your wife, if you are the husband, must learn to be led by you. As a husband, you're required to lead her and train her as you need her 
to be for the kingdom. Now that's taken from Ephesians. It says, um, even as Christ uh, nurtures and cherishes the body. Well, the word nurture there isn't the American understanding of nurture, which is usually we understand to coddle, to suckle, to pet, to hold. The word nurture there in the Greek means to train and disciple. So Christ trains and disciples the church. And that whole passage in Ephesians 5 is teaching us as husbands how we take care of our wives. We train and disciple our wives the way we need them to be. Every household here this morning, your household runs differently based on the husband's career, mom's career, where the kids are at, what the family's going through, what the household is doing. And so every husband has a different calling, different destiny, different gifting, and he needs his wife to be something totally different than my wife needs to be for me. So it becomes the husband's job to look at his wife and say, this is what I need you to be, which to me says something so powerful about women. They are infinitely adaptable and trainable to be what they need to be, to be the helper God called them in the garden to be to their husband. So if you hadn't married the man you're married to and you had married another man of God, he would train you somehow totally different to help his calling, his gifting, his assignment, his business, his ministry, whatever he does for a living. It is the feminist and the Jezebel that says, no, this is how I want to be. This is the daydream I daydreamed up in middle school back in 1973. And you can't change me, husband. Well, you are useless when it comes to marriage. You are not a helper. You are your own unique, stubborn thing. That's why you're miserable. Amen. I don't know who brought this this morning, but I have a lot of other stuff to cover. We'll just keep washing it to wash. I'm going to wash that feminism right out of my church. I'm going to wash. That's an old song from the 80s commercials. Whatever. Okay. As a husband, you're required to lead your wife and train her as you need her to be for the kingdom. And wives, you've got to submit to that. Your husband has the grace. He knows where you're, he's going and where he needs you to help him go. The spiritual condition of your family will make you or break you. And every person in that family helps add a flavor to the spiritual condition of their household. If you have grown children or teenage children and one of them goes totally rebellious, God forbid, and starts doing just demonic things, that will change the overall spiritual condition of the house and it will change how the family, how the, the patriarch and the matriarch have to lean and do things. Every member of a family is critical to the spiritual condition of that household. Even in a local church, we can be going along having a great series of teachings and one person walks in and totally we have to lean against it to compensate for their sin or their hurt or whatever they're facing. This is why we call it mastering your family. In America, our modern culture is go to college, get a degree, find someone good looking, making lots of money, marry them and then what? Just exist, make money, take vacations and die. That's the American dream right now. That is, that, there's no destiny. There's no target. There's no bullseye in that. It's just existing. You have to do more than just be married and have kids. You have to have a plan and a blueprint for every kid in your home, for your money, for your retirement, for your investments. You ought to have investments. You ought to have long-term vision for your family and for your life. You can't just exist paycheck to paycheck. You can't just live Friday to Friday. You, you got to get bigger than that. You got to be bigger than vacation to vacation and holiday to holiday. Your heart can never say TGIF. If all you live for is TGIF, you live a shallow existence. You have to have a long-term destiny and plan for you, your spouse, your children, and even your grandchildren and great-grandchildren. 
Family, 1 Timothy requirements. So let's look at what it says of elders and leaders in the local body. Number one, you need to be the husband of one wife. That means a monogamist. That cannot mean you've only been married once because what about the widow? What about the widower? Do we exclude them from eldership because they had a spouse die? What about if they fulfill 1 Corinthians 7 and they married someone and the unbeliever departed from their marriage and now the Bible says they are free to remarry, but only in the Lord. So we're not talking about you haven't been married before or you have been through a horrific divorce. We're talking about you're not a, 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 monog- a polygamist. You're not a Mormon. You don't have several wives. This is actually an issue in Africa in some places and in Arab countries. We, I've actually dealt with pastors in Kenya who they've had to go into churches and tell the pastor, you don't qualify. You've got eight wives because that still goes on to this day in Africa. You have eight, I'm called to be a pastor. I'm sorry, but you don't qualify. God put the calling on you, but your pagan lifestyle tore, tore things up. Uh, they, Stanley Livingstone dealt with that. He, he was very harsh with it. He commanded one of the chiefs, you have to get rid of all your wives. Keep the one you love the most. Set them up, take care of them. But you can't. If you're going to please God, you can't have 10 wives. And that, he said that chief divorced all of his wives but one. And he said, and the one he kept was the one that mocked his Christian faith. And that was just David Livingstone, the great uh, Scottish missionary complaining in the 1860s, maybe a little bit before that. Faithful and full of fidelity, a one wife man. I like that. That means you don't have affairs with your job or with your hobby. You're a one wife man. Number two, rule well your own house. Now, again, your personal private address, that's your proving ground. If you're single and you want to be a leader in the local church, your personal private address is your proving ground. How well do you manage your apartment? How well do you manage your your house trailer? How well do you manage your home? How well do you manage your your personal finances? If you can't manage a minimum wage job and its financial blessing, you're not going to manage anything else well. The Lord says don't dishonor the day of small things. That's where you learn to be good. And then you slowly work your way up. You learn how to manage $7 an hour, then $17 an hour, then $27 an hour. You learn how to manage a 1,000-square-foot apartment, and then a 2,000-square-foot house, and then a 3,000-square-foot house. You learn how to manage a compact house, a car, and then the the maintenance and the, the, the cost of tires for a little car with little wheels and little oil changes and little fix-it problems. And then you can go buy, 30 years from now, a $60,000 car if you want that has a $1,000 tune-up. One of my friends used to have a Corvette that he got for a pretty good deal. And uh, I was asking him if I could peel out in it. He said, sure, I've got to replace the tires anyway. So he let me peel out in it, and I, I did. I, I revved the engine to 3,000 RPMs and d- dumped the clutch and just smoked for days. It was awesome, but my pastor was behind me at the traffic light, which was... <laughs> I quickly called him and repented to him. He said, well, oh, no, you're okay. I thought there was something wrong with the car. I said, nope, just me dumping the clutch, barking tires. I said, how much does it cost to replace these Corvette tires? He said, $1,200 a piece. Everybody wants a fancy car. Doesn't mean you can afford the maintenance of simple tires. My truck is like $250 a tire. It's almost $1,000 to put tires on my truck. I'm thankful that I can get about 50 or 60,000 miles out of a set of tires. So this is something people don't think about when they buy a new car. You want to buy that nice little sporty coupe four years old, you get a good deal on it, check the price of tires. 
because you don't want to run that thing on balds. You know, and you got to be saving up money for the $1,000 tire change. All right. To rule well your own home literally means to stand before or over something, to rule, to manage. How well do you manage what God gives you today? To govern, to give attention to. To have a family, you got to give attention to it. To have a car, you got to give attention to it. Even if you have a bicycle and that's your means of transportation, you have to give attention to it. You have to keep the chain lubed. You have to check the brake pads on your bicycle. There's a lot of maintenance that goes into something as simple as a bicycle. If you can't operate in life and be a good steward, you will never be given anything else. You'll be poor your whole life and you'll never be able to lead in the house of God. Used of those who stand before an army in order to lead or of those who stood over the affairs of government. So talk about high powerful officials, captains and officers in the military or political officers over government. This is what the word means, to rule well your own house. And you have to rule well your own house. If you're a single person, rule well your house when there's nobody in there. And teach your children how to take possession over what you've given them, how to rule well their bedroom and rule well their their chore chart. Uh, Our girls have a chore chart. They have magnets, and when they do them, they get to slide them over. And our girls take great privilege or honor or excitement of getting to slide over. You know, I swept under the stuff. We make our girls sweep up their mess. I took my clothes to the dirty hamper. I picked up my room. You can tell when Lydia is on the the chore chart rampage because she just starts hugging and kissing on people for no reason. And then she's done. She says, I get to move a magnet. And then she runs off to her bedroom, love on family. (laughs) I feel like I've been used. We're trying to teach her responsibility and stewardship and home training. This new generation of millennials, they don't know how to take care of anything because mommy and daddy did everything for them. You ruin your kids when you do everything for them. You got to teach them how to cook. My mom, my mom taught me how to cook when I was 11 and 12 years old. Amen. Never too late to learn. To take charge. You know, if you're going to lead, you got to be able to, you, you have to be proactive you can't wait to be told what to do. You've got to be proactive. Using the Septuagint of the man who takes the dog by his ears. I like that. You, we'd say grab the bull by the horns. And meddles in strife that's not his. So that's kind of a negative usage, but it's talking about the assertiveness, the, the, the proactivity. Cookville doesn't know proactivity. The foreigners coming in, the Yankees, the West Coasters, they know proactivity. That's why they run Cookville. That's why they're making the investments. This region has set as fallow ground for 150 years, and now all the foreigners are coming in. By foreigners, I mean other Americans from outside Tennessee. And they realize this people is ready to be enslaved because they're lazy. If you're going to lead, you have to be proactive. You have to be willing to get up and do something without being told to do it. Used for the eight times in 1 Timothy concerning the qualifications of deacons, elders, and bishops. If you're going to be anything in the kingdom, you have to be able to rule. You have to be able to know what to do with authority and to take the initiative. If you only make productivity when somebody tells you, you will never go anywhere in life. You will always be a worker bee. You will always be a worker ant, what they call a soldier ant. You will never be in charge of anything. And unfortunately, that's where a lot of humanity will live and die. The destiny that God has on your life will not come to pass because he put a destiny on your life. It will only come to pass when you take a proactive stance and begin to move forward out of your rut. Amen. The emphasis in the Greek is upon the quality of their leadership. Now, that's something different, too. 
and not the position of leadership. So it's not about having the title of elder or having the title of bishop or captain or private first class or lieutenant or first lieutenant or full bird colonel. It's not the purpose. The purpose, the emphasis in the Greek is quality. And the higher your quality, the more responsibility you'll be given whether you have a title or not. Who cares about the title if you don't do good quality work? The Greek does not indicate a severe sternness, but rather the idea of complete dignity and leadership. So this is not a dictator. This is not a jerk. This is not someone who barks and commands. This is someone full of complete dignity and leadership, and thus the idea of earning a natural respect. You know, uh, growing up in the deeper South, I saw dads and grandpas say, obey me because I told you to, boy. That is not what this is talking about. That's not how you rule well your own house. You don't rule your house with a club or a belt. You rule your house through mutual respect and dignity. Again, we're trying to master this in our household. Uh, Lydia got another spanking. It's spanking season in our household. And so she misbehaved. And I said, you do it again, you're going to get a spanking. And she did. And so she got a spanking. And so we're laughing all the way to the paddle. Because she knows she's not in trouble till she gets the paddle out. And I said, this is going to be a bare bottom spanking, sweetie. And so she said, please, daddy, mercy, not hard. And I said, all right, if you can be sweet, I'll, I'll lighten the spanking. And so I spanked her and may, we prayed. And then she I may always make her give me loving. And so she knows I love her. And then I said, you want to see how super soft I can spank you? She said, yeah, it's a game. We spank, they're not afraid of anything. So then I didn't even hit her. I just, you know, just, she said, I didn't even feel that. I said, it's because it was super soft. If you do this right, they're not afraid of the paddle. They're not afraid of a belt. If they know where it's coming from, they're not afraid of you. If you do it wrong, all they'll remember growing up is how you terrorized them and you only showed up to beat the fire out of their bottom. And that's not a parent. That's an immature individual. So we're not talking about a severe sternness, but dignity and leadership and thus earning the uh, the earning natural respect. Ruling well at home will qualify you to be promoted to the rank of those that are, quote, over you in the Lord. When First uh, Thessalonians talks about knowing them that are over you in the Lord, that refers to those that have learned how to rule well their own home. If you can't ever rule over your home, you'll never rule over anybody in the kingdom that, or, or lead over anybody in the kingdom. And once again, shame on any Christian who just wants to stay where they're at. Shame on any Christian who doesn't aspire to be a deacon in the local church or aspire to be a department head in the local church or just aspires to be an elder in the local church. You have no permission from God to stay at this current level of your Christianity. He wants to put authority and promotion on every one of you. And it doesn't come by just saying, well, you know, I want it, pastor. Put up or shut up. Strive for it and then do what you must in private to get after it. You know, a couple... um, I'll brag on Sydney King. We just put her on the worship team. She, she has, I don't know if she ever once came to me telling me she wanted to be on the worship team. She, I knew she was practicing the piano and her mom and dad came and talked to me. But whatever she was doing in private, she was doing it as unto the Lord. And one day, I don't remember, I was standing somewhere over here and the Lord just spoke to me and said, it's time to put Sydney King on solo. She didn't ever have to tell me, you know I want it. You know I want it. You know I want it. Whatever she was doing in private, whatever she was doing in her heart, that was all it took. And now we've thrown her up there and and she's helping to lead worship as a teenager. And so, uh, you know, it's not about your talk. It's about your action. 
It is about doing what you're called to do when nobody looks, when nobody sees. Proving to the Lord you want what you claim you want by the activity you do in private. Romans 12.8 tells us to rule with diligence or earnestness, striving to accomplish by interesting yourself in the affair. If you're not interested in the affair, you'll never be over the affair. Striving to accomplish by interesting yourself in the affair. If you're called to ministry, if you really want to fulfill it, you ought to interest yourself in it. And if you hang out around, hang out around here, that's all we do around here is ministry 24-7. But if you're just interested in being a chair-warming Christian or the horse leech, as King James calls the parasite in Proverbs, you can just sit around and say, give, give. Those are your two offspring, give and give. Number three, having children in subjection. This means, of course, obedience. We're talking about things you have to master in your life if you're going to be a strong Christian. Obedience. You teach your children obedience. Now, in our godly parenting curriculum, we talk about the reason you spank your children is not to hurt them, but to teach them submission of will. Your entire life is based upon your ability to submit your will to someone greater than you. You go to work because you submit your will to someone greater than you. You pull over to the police officer because you submit your will to someone greater than you. You pay your taxes because you submit your will to someone greater than you. And you go to jail because you refuse to submit your will to someone greater than you. You go to heaven because you submit your will to someone greater than you. So the reason we spank and discipline our children is to teach them how to begin to submit their will to somebody else's will. Rebellion is not the act. Rebellion is birthed in the heart. And rebellion is always about the child saying, I want what I want. And when you give it to them, you are enabling and enforcing rebellion. We spank to punish rebellion of heart. God spanks us as adults verbally. It crushes us, and it should. When you're in trouble with God, it ought to break every one of your bones. If not, you have a calloused heart. You have seared your conscience. I can talk, and if it applies to you, you feel like I'm hammering you and picking you out of the ground. That's the Holy Ghost. Because you can look to your left and right and see everybody else is smiling. If you're the one not smiling, you're the one getting hammered. That's a spanking. He said in Hebrews 12, he will scourge you. He will spank you like the son he loves dearly. Amen. And he does that to teach us to submit our will. You should stop talking to the Lord about what you want. He does not care about what you want. You should quit telling the Lord your plans because he does not care about your plans. What you ought to say is, Lord, what do you want? Lord, what are your plans for my life? I might also throw in there, as Americans, and we're pretty good about it in this congregation, you don't come up with plans for your children either. You know, it's, I, you, just when your kid shows a propensity for something, you're like, oh, they're going to be an engineer. They're going to be an artist. They're going to be a geologist. Mm, she likes to play nurse. She's going to be a nurse when she grows up. There's no telling what she's going to become when she grows up because it's all in God's hand. It hath not yet appeared what she shall become or what he shall become. We, ought, we tell our girls, sweetie, I want you to know you can be anything you want to be. I know that, daddy. And anything God wants you to be. I know that, daddy. All right, I'm just telling you again, know it all. We're going to start with not being afraid of bugs. <laughs> yeah. It denotes willful submission in the sense of renouncing your own leadership. That's what we teach our children to do. Renounce your own leadership. Renounce your own leadership. Let mom and dad lead you. Let your teacher lead you. Let your uh, Sunday school leader lead you. Let your college and career leader lead you. Let your boss lead you. 
We, we all understand that because it's what makes us pretty successful as adults. We have to begin teaching our children that when they're usually about five and six months old. The reason your baby spits peas out is not because she doesn't like peas, it's because she wants her own leadership. Proverbs says rebellion or doing what you want is sealed up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from them. A willful surrender, that's what we're teaching is willful compliance. I I scientifically analyze my children. Lydia is willful in everything. I can get that kid to do anything I need her to do. Abigail has not fully learned it yet. She's taking a little bit longer probably because we've been a little bit more lax with her, which is the second child syndrome. We are correcting that passionately right now. (laughs) One commentary said of this passage, failure, this is a biblical theological commentary, failure in this parental duty would render a man unfit for leadership role in the church. You can't get your children in subjection, you are unfit to lead in the church. On this one mark alone, This may be the greatest shortcoming. If this thing fails, you probably don't qualify for any kind of leadership in the church. The others, you know, you can have a work in progress. But this one, you know, your kids are rebellious at 8 and 9 and 10 and 15. You don't understand leadership. We would not dare put you in any kind of significant leadership position here because you would reproduce your children in our adults. And we don't want that. You have not been a good steward over the authority God has given you. The root word is a Greek military term, meaning to arrange troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. This tells us that we ought to have our children organized. They ought to be able to stand on a wall if we need them to. They ought to be able to keep their rooms clean. We've trained them like military troops. That's how we ought to do this thing. The non-military usage states a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. You ought to teach your children to carry a burden. Do not do everything for your children. You will ruin them. Do not do everything for your children. You will ruin them. If you have children, your house should never be messy. They should know how to pick up after themselves, especially once they get past about four and five years old. If your children don't pick up after themselves, you are not doing your job. Amen. And don't do it for them because they do a bad job. They'll never do a good job if you always do it for them. You have to take time and walk them by the hand and show them what to be. Some of the worst kids in America are the ones that live like this on their phone because this is what they're good at because they take time. They're horrible at everything else, including life, because mom and dad don't ever take this out of their hand and put a mop in their hand. This will make fat kids and socially awkward and dysfunctional and rebellious kids. You put a mop in their hands, super glue it if you need to, don't really. (laughs) They asked Tiger Woods, how did you know you were going to be a professional golf player? He said, it was when I was four years old, my dad got me a golf set and super glued the clubs in my hand, which was a joke. It didn't really happen, but you, you teach your kids how to clean up. Let them contribute to life and not be a horse leech. A man who cannot produce this in his home will not be successful at producing this in the church. And this is what the church needs. This is why they also call the pastor and his wife the church father and the church mother because we're just parenting adults who maybe didn't have good parenting growing up. You know who some of the best disciples of Christ can be is military soldiers and police officers. Those who are ranking, they know they get it because they've been trained. Soldiers, police officers, Anybody in some kind of official status, they understand the kingdom because it's a representative of where they've come from. They make some of the best disciples and church workers. You know who some of the worst disciples are in the kingdom? Self-employed people. 
because they always get to do their own thing. They make some of the worst because their way is the right way and I know how to do it right. That's not the point. The point is you do it the way I want it done. So for what it's worth. Next, next point. We are really dragging on this. Apparently you guys need help. <laughs> I'm helping myself this morning, actually. With all gravity. We're talking about how to master your family. You, have your, you rule your house well, having your children in subjection with all gravity. That means your children respect you. They don't, resp- they don't obey you out of fear. Like, like Germany obeyed Hitler, they obey you with respect. Honorableness. Lydia asked me the other day, she said, she said, I was trying to move something, I couldn't, it was too heavy. She said, could Jesus move it? I said, yeah, Jesus could move it. Is he stronger than you, daddy? He's stronger than daddy. Really? Yeah, she thinks I hung the moon, which was cool. And she thinks I'm super strong and that's cool. But she's having a process how could Jesus be stronger than my daddy there's some respect there there's dignity it's a cool thing nobility your kids ought to look up to you with a noble reverence having a demeanor that demands respect worthy of reverence you as a dad you as a mom live a life worthy of respect your kids grow up and they begin to see things with more acute focus you don't want them to grow up and become disenchanted with you that 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 would break my heart I deal with folks who, who grow up and look at their parents and realize their parents weren't anything they ever thought they were. I don't want that ever to be me. I want my girls to think I hung the moon until they put me in the ground or turn on that fan and blow my ashes all over everybody. <laughs> I see it in some of my ministry friends whose parents, they serve like parents like Josh Barclay and, Trish, and um, Don Barclay. They still think their dad hung the moon, which to me blesses my heart so much. Some of my other ministry friends like Pastor Kerry Gordon, they still so respect their dad. It just, it's a cool thing. They don't grow up disenchanted. Worthy of reference. This passage assumes the meaning that a leader must discipline their children in a way that is not only worthy of respect, but it also produces respect and not hatred or hate in the child. You can discipline your child in such a way they hate you. I know a guy, he said, I hate my dad. Why? Well, because I only saw him growing up when he'd come home from work and the only time he would pay me any attention is when I needed discipline. And he would always do it in anger. He never played with me. He never did anything with me. He'd only come home from work to spank me. He never showed me any love or affection. He was never a dad to me. He was only a disciplinarian to me. And I hate him. You can see how that could happen. Discipline is a constant part of raising children, but it shouldn't be the only part you have interacting with your children. It should literally be probably less than 5% of your interaction with your children because you're playing with them. You're playing what they want to play with them. Don't force your hobbies on your kids. Let them experiment. Let them figure out what they like doing. You can't raise all your kids the same. They have different things God's put in them. One likes this, the other likes that. Buy them stuff for both of it and spend time doing both things. You can't parent your kids the same. You have to parent every kid differently. Doesn't God lord over you differently than he does me? He speaks to you differently than he speaks to me about different things because we have different callings and personalities and weaknesses. He is God. He doesn't change. But how he relates to every one of us is a little different. And that's how it works. Take care of the church of God. Use here, only here, and in the story of the Good Samaritan. So now this is where some of you have really got to grow up this morning. I've just been broadcasting now. Now I'm going to specific. Some of you, I'm looking at you. This is where you fail God. All right? Your calling is to help take care of the church. 
So what does that mean? This, this word is only used here and in the story of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan took care of the victim and then commanded the innkeeper to take care with the same heart and care and compassion and willingness to sacrifice. Of the same man in the same manner and to the same degree. This denotes the direction of mind toward the object cared for. It involves forethought and provision. For some of you, when you leave service, you don't think about this church till you come back for the next service. Shame on you. You're trying to get God to do stuff for you, but you won't do anything for God. You have to have a mind and a forethought for provision for the church that takes care of you. God will never bless you or promote you as he ought if your heart and mind doesn't take care of his stuff. One of the quick ways to promotion is you sacrifice for God, he'll move the world for you. And literally, us sacrificing for a little building, a little assembly, that, that's not very big unless you're selfish. Then it's, it's impossible. You, you want to try to get someplace in life? You got to start sacrificing for the things of God. To take care of the church of God means you sacrifice, you go out of your way to take care of that which has need. You don't expect somebody else to do it. That's the story of the good Samaritan. You had a priest, you had a Levi, and then a Samaritan who was a half-breed Jew who the Jews hated. He went out of his way, didn't even cross away from the, the injured man. He went to him. He inspected him and said, this man needs attention, and I'm not going to wait for somebody else to do it. Some of you, you, you expect somebody else to do work around here, and we do, and that's why we're blessed and you're not. That's why we go, we go with and you go without. That's why we have direction and you go in circles. That's why our life's promoted and you're still scratching your head wondering what you're doing wrong. I'm telling you what you're doing wrong. You come and go as you please. And you think when you show up to help something, you're doing us a favor. You're not doing anything. You're serving God at your own terms and conditions and it's selfish. And it's time for you to grow up if you're going to be a leader in the house of God. God demands you to grow up. You've been in this church long enough. You shouldn't be immature babies waiting for somebody else to do it. I would almost prophesy that you're going to watch things begin to dry up even more and you're going to beat your head against the wall wondering why nothing works for you. I'm telling you why nothing works for you. You live around this church like your possum holler. You expect us to keep raising the standard and you enjoy being a part of it, but you don't contribute squat to it. When you do contribute, it's still squat. You come and go as you please. You chase your own friends. You chase your own career. You chase your own things. And that's why. You're just not blessed like you should be. Now, you're better than third world nation, but you're not... Engrafted word church blessed. You're not kingdom of God blessed. You're not blessed as you ought to be. Amen. That's a little preaching and pastoring right there. So we'll move on. We're almost done. Rooted in compassion. How about this test? What if everybody here helped build this church the way you do? Where would we be on this building project? If everybody served up here like you do, would we have even finished tearing this thing up? What if everybody contributed the way you do to the degree you do. Would, this, would the kingdom, would this local church have anything to show for it? No. So that's how you judge yourself. What if we were all armies of, you know, Mr. Rick's up here a lot. If, we were, if every one of us was a Mr. Rick, if every one of us was a Mr. AJ or Mr. Greg or Mr. Earl, these are folks that are up here like seven days a week right now contributing to our church or Schmitty. You know, some of you I'm leaving out, some of you I'm just not looking at just to save you. If, we, if every one of us, if we had 200 of some of these names I've named, this had been done a month ago or two months ago. But folks, come and go as they please. That's why the blessing of God comes and goes in your life and doesn't ever stay. Amen.
All right. Tightest requirements of mastering your family. Having faithful children. Again, your children are such a testimony to your ability to lead in the kingdom. Now, if your grown children aren't serving God, no condemnation, you can have repented and gotten better. But I, this we, we really, we say for those who have children at home and for those who are still having children, because we've got to get this. American parenting has declined in the last 50 years, horrifically. Pistis, that's the Greek word for faith. Pista, pistis. It means your children are believing. If you can't produce Christian faith in your children, you will never lead in the house of God. Because your children will believe in Santa Claus, they'll believe in the tooth fairy, they'll believe anything you tell them. Why don't they believe in the God you claim to serve? Faithful means your children are faithful, they're trustworthy, they're reliable, they're credible. Your children have a good reputation because you've trained them to be such. They're genuine. Amen. You're all quiet. We've moved off of the you're not faithful. We're talking about your children now. (laughs) Amen. Children not accused of right. Notice again, your family, your children, not accused of riot. This means originally hopelessly sick or incurable. It denotes something unusual and unhealthy. It hints at willful and deliberate excess. Let me, let me throw a hard punch. You're, if your children are fat, excess. Riot. Children not accused of riot. That means excessiveness. Chubby children lack discipline. Chubby children lack discipline. We can argue genetics and metabolism all day long. I go all over the world. I see fat children nowhere but America. Now, part of that is the food available to us, but with a little bit of discipline, mama, in your diet, you can teach your kids to eat healthy. The Vincents trained all their kids to eat healthy, and they still eat healthy. But typically, chubby kids come from chubby parents. All right, we are ripping it up this morning, Sunday school. It denotes something unusual and unhealthy. It hints at willful and deliberate excess, whether in eating, drinking, making money, or other actions. Wastefulness. Teach your children to be good stewards, not to break their toys, not to break stuff. Excess. Dissipation. The Septuagint applies usage implies gluttony. There we're back to obesity. A kid doesn't need a bag of Cheetos at a snack time, nor does a kid need to waste four hours playing Minecraft or, you know, whatever the thing is your kid's wasting their life on here. Or, you know, with Netflix now, you can binge watch Octonauts or Mickey Mouse Club or Daniel Tiger. You got to be able to put a restraint to that so your kids don't learn to let their flesh just gravitate to whatever they want and rest upon it. You know, most of us grew up in the 60s, 70s, and 80s where mom and dads had to call us in from outside. Now we're having to force our kids to go outside. Childhood diabetes, you know, onset diabetes, that you, you get kids get fat and they get diabetic, not, you know, the genetic kind that you can't prevent because it's just part of your DNA. We got issues. Your kids are fat. The Bible says this is not a good role model to be an elder in the church. Of course, Brother Hagin did say, if you want to offend Christians, talk about their money, talk about their weight, talk about their marriage. Debauchery. The Subtugent uses this word to just talk about debauchery. Your kids are debaucherous. Unsavedness. (laughs) 
How in the world does gluttony, obesity equal unsaved? But it's all there in the language. Being wild, as the NIV says it. We should not have wild kids. I, I spank my children when they want to run around or play in here. We try to, this is sanctuary. We let them run in the hallways. Let them, not in the parking lot, but you know, we'll let them play in the play area when we get that thing put together. But our children should not be accused of being wild. Amen. Amen. Children not accused of being unruly. Again, we're, this is talking about mastering your family, mom and dad. To be out from under the appointed order. Independent. Your children should not be raised to be independent until they probably get to their teenage years and you begin to coax them and show them how to be independent. They should always want to come back to you. You raise your children right, they're not looking forward to getting out of the house. They want to come back to you. They look forward to coming back to you. Their their lineage, their heritage, they're a boomerang. You let them go, they come back to you holiday after holiday. They bring the grandkids back to you. Something's wrong when kids leave and they never want to come back. It's because you parented wrong. Independent, disobedient, rebellious, not subject to rule, undisciplined. So children, children not accused of being undisciplined. All of our children should be disciplined children. That doesn't just mean spanked. It means they have disciplined lives. One of the greatest prayers I think we pray over our girls every night is that they hide nothing from us. They bring everything to us. They hide nothing from us. They bring everything to us. And it works. They, it works over and over and over again. Disruptive. So these are things we're aiming to correct in our children. Uh, the Symmachus Greek translation of the Bible uses this word for the literal phrase, sons of Belial. In Timothy, it is used in connection with the lawless, the godless, and the sinners. That shouldn't be preacher's kids or leader's kids. By comparison, Paul addresses rebellious ones in Titus 1.10 as if to say, practice dealing with the rebellion at home so you will be skilled to deal with the rebellion in and around the church. Now, I like that. That's a commentary. Titus's exposition says, basically, you as a leader or an up-and-coming leader, you practice dealing with the rebellion in your children so you'll know how to deal with it when, with church people. Because old people are like children, they just have older bodies. They still have the immaturity, the insecurity, the rebellion. I don't wanna, I'm gonna take an attitude now. I quit. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I need to go pee pee. It's just like kids, except they have older bodies. Sometimes not older psyches, which they should develop. It is evident from these passages that the family is where leadership begins. America used to have this down pat. This, was, this didn't have to be taught from the pulpit 100 years ago. It just worked. But we've lost it. It, it is evident from this passage that families where leadership begins is where leadership is practiced and where it must be maintained. If you wink at rebellion at home, you'll wink at rebellion in the church, in your department, on your job. If you wink at rebellion at home, you'll wink at rebellion in the church. If you can't see rebellion in your home, you won't spot it in the church. If you can't see rebellion at home, you won't see it in the church. Your home life is a cross sample of how you would lead in the kingdom, whether it be a local church, a traveling ministry, or a missionary assignment. If you can't fix the problems in your home, you're not ready to troubleshoot the body of Christ. O physician, heal thyself. Amen. Father, we thank you for these lessons. May we take it to heart. 
May we hear what you're saying. May we get our children saved and keep them saved and teach them how to deliver themselves. Teach them how to submit their will. Teach our wives how to follow us. May we be the best disciple makers beginning with our wives and our children. And if we're women, beginning with ourselves and our children. Father, may our households represent the kingdom. May it be a little microcosm of the kingdom of God. May our homes be a little place of heaven on earth because we follow your will, your testimony, and your example. In Jesus' name, amen.